You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. Uh, Bill O'Reilly, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Louis C.K., Charlie Rose, Kevin Spacey, Matt Lauer. The list goes on and on and on. Time Magazine actually published a list recently of 75 men who were accused of sexual impropriety since Harvey Weinstein was first accused just over three months ago in October. 75 men have been accused in the past three months. That's almost one man every day. And we understand that an accusation is not the same thing as guilt, but many of these men have confessed to the accusations that have been leveled against them. And for many of these men, because of these accusations, it's ended their careers. It's ruined their reputations. Uh, Bill Cosby's reputation in his life work is forever tarnished because of what he did. Harvey Weinstein was fired from his company and expelled from the Motion Picture Academy. Spacey was suspended from his hit show, House of Cards, and literally erased from his most recently released movie, All the Money in the World. Louis C.K. was cut from all his media ties, and his movie release and comedy specials were canceled. Charlie Rose was fired by CBS. Bill O'Reilly was fired by Fox. Matt Lauer was fired by NBC. And this is a watershed moment in our society. And it's not that this sexual misconduct is just now happening, but what's been happening for years is finally coming out. It's emerging from the darkness of concealment into the light of exposure. And for the victims who have come forward, uh, they should be praised for their boldness and their courage. Uh, But one thing that we learned from this too is that a person can spend their entire lives building a reputation and a career, but it can be toppled in an instant, all because of a sneaking, unaddressed, unchecked issue in their life. Everything can come crashing down. Today we're continuing the series called Just Short, and um, this is a series that's really about um, how do we finish strong? How do we follow through? How do, we, how do we make it so that in our lives we don't come up just short of all that God has called us to? Last week I, I, I talked about this, that the, the way that we avoid coming up just short in our lives is we realize that we are those who don't shrink back. That shrinking back really is quitting, and we just have to determine that we are the kind of people who won't shrink back. We will not quit, but we will continue to move forward. Next week, I'm uh, talking about how sometimes we can come up just short because we settle. We get settled in complacency or being comfortable. But, but today, I want to teach from this title. If you would take a moment to write it down in the notes section of your program, my title for today is this, Held Back. Held Back. Sometimes we can come up just short of the destination of our destiny because we're held back by an unchecked, unaddressed emotional issue. And to help us see this, um, I want to look at the life of Moses. I want to do a bit of a case study for this man named Moses because he had this uh, sneaking subterranean issue in his life that he never addressed. And because he never addressed it, because he never did anything about it, it held him back from entering into the destiny God had called him to. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up to Numbers chapter 20, uh, verse 2. It's Numbers chapter 20. 
verse two. Uh, I had somebody ask me one time, how come you keep repeating the Bible passages all the time? Uh, I wanna explain that real quick. The, the reason why I, I repeat it over and over again is because if you're like me, you forget. I know I forget. Like I'll be listening to somebody and they'll say a passage. I'll be like, numbers? Okay, numbers. What, what chapter again? Okay, 20. Okay, wait, what was the verse again? So that's why I repeat it over and over again. I'm not going crazy. Um, but Numbers chapter 20, verse 2 is where we're going to start. We'll also have the words for on the screen so you can read there. But we're going to look at the life of Moses. And I believe that what was hidden to Moses will help us expose what we may not see in our own lives and will help us break through into the life God has called us to. Numbers chapter 20 verse 2 says this, now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses in Aaron. Uh, I always got to sneak that joke in. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Balaki? Okay, good. Now there was no water. Some of you are like, what is he talking about? That'll be an inside thing for us. Now there was no water for the community and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? You remember Egypt where we were slaves? Why did you bring us from there to this terrible place of freedom? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates. There's no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock. Speak to that rock. Somebody say, speak. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he had commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock. Somebody say, uh-oh. That's not what God told him to do. He struck the rock twice with his staff, and water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Let me set the scene for this setting. See, this setting actually uh, began 40 years, the, the, the story begins 40 years prior to this event right here. See, what happened was, uh, God appeared to Moses and he said, I want you to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity. Moses goes to Pharaoh of Egypt and he says, uh, I want you to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no way. They're free labor. I'm not letting them go. So God sends all these plagues on Egypt, a plague of hail, locusts, uh, darkness, turns the Nile to blood, frogs, all these plagues come on to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. Eventually, Pharaoh says, okay, you can, you can take them. So Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. They exit Egypt in what's known as the Exodus. The word Exodus means to exit. So they leave Egypt. They are now free. But Pharaoh has a change of heart. He says, I want to go recapture them. So he chases after the nation of Israel, almost a million people that Moses has let out. So he starts chasing them. They come to the Red Sea. They can't get anywhere because the sea is in front of them. Pharaoh is behind them. God 
parts the Red Sea, the Israelites walk through on dry ground, and then God closes up the Red Sea again, and now the Israelites are finally free. They have seen God move in mighty, miraculous, amazing ways. Then they get on the other side of the Red Sea, and they start to complain. They look around and they realize uh, there's nothing to eat. Their, their tummies start to grumble and they say, we're hungry, give us food. So they start to complain to Moses and Moses goes to God, he's like, what am I gonna do with this? And God says, okay, I will rain down bread from heaven so they can eat it. And on top of that, I'll even send quail so they can kill these birds and eat them. Really what God does is he gives the Israelites Chick-fil-A takeout. He's like, here you go, have all you want. And they eat and they're filled. But then they realize, wait, we don't have anything to wash this down with. So then they get thirsty and they go to Moses and they complain to Moses. Moses, we don't have anything to drink. You know, back in Egypt when we were slaves, we had something to drink. But here we are now, nothing to drink. And God says to Moses, what I want you to do then is I want you to strike this rock over here. That's what he tells them the first time. Strike this rock. And water comes out and people drink. And then they um, continue on. And uh, about a few weeks later, Moses leads them to the promised land. This is the land God had promised to give them. And so they're right there. They're on the outskirts of the promised land on the cusp of Canaan. And Moses says, okay, I'm going to send some spies in to check out the land just to see how awesome it is. So he sends some spies in, they go check it out, and they come back and they give a good report. They say, the land you sent us into, the land God's about to give us, is amazing. It flows with milk and honey. It's, it's, um, it's fruit. It's great. It is the best we could imagine. But, but, how many of you know that your butt will often get in the way of God's destiny for you? Get your butt out the way. But there's some giants in the land. And uh, when we saw them, we appeared as grasshoppers in their eyes, and we felt the same way. Somebody should preach a sermon on that, how they saw the giants and they saw themselves as grasshoppers, and they should call that sermon like grasshoppers. That'd be a good <laughs> sermon. If you didn't know, I preached that uh, a, little, a little bit last year. You can go back and listen to it in this series called Heaven's Perspective. It's called Light Grasshoppers. But because the spies didn't adopt Heaven's perspective and they didn't adequately understand who they were because they gave in to their own insecurities, what happens is they forfeited their destiny not to the giants in front of them but to the grasshoppers inside of them. They allowed their insecurity and an inaccurate understanding of who they really were to prevent them from entering into the land God had already given them. So they say, we can't do it. And then God says, okay, because of the unbelief of this generation, you're gonna wander around in this wilderness for 40 years until this unbelieving generation dies off, a new generation comes up, and then we'll give it a shot again. And so this is, this is where this picks up. It's 40 years after all of that. So what's taking place is Moses has freed Israel from Egyptian captivity. They're no longer slaves, they're free. They complain about their freedom because they don't have any food. They complain about it because they don't have any water. By, by the way, I just want to say, I am so grateful that I do not lead a complaining church. Thank you so much that you do not complain. You make my job so much easier. Because I read about what Moses went through, and I hear other pastors talk about stuff, and they ask me, what do you do with people who complain in your church? And I thank God, I just get to say, that doesn't happen in our church, because we believe the best. That didn't happen in our church, because we're for, not against. You know, I wish I knew what you, actually, I'm glad I don't know what you're talking about, because I lead a church of people who are not entitled 
But instead, because when you're entitled, you start to complain. So thank you so much for being the kind of church that I don't have to worry about complaining, who takes ownership and, and sees a problem and fixes it. Anyway, Moses is leading these Israelites. They're complaining. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. They complain the whole time he leads them. They rebel against his leadership. And his, 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 uh, his sister, Miriam, dies. This is, this is a 40-year thing going on. He's let them out of Egypt. They've, they, they, they complained about food and water 40 years prior. They're wandering through the wilderness, complaining all the time, rebelling. And at the end of this 40 years, Moses' sister Miriam dies. Moses is mourning the death of his sister. Moses is at his wits end, his gray hair all over. This is just not a good moment for Moses. But they're about to try it again. They're about to go into the promised land one more time. And then here's what the people of Israel say 40 years later, Numbers 24 through 5. They don't have anything to drink. And they say, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? Have you ever had somebody say something to you and it was like the wrong moment? I mean, you went through so much in your day. You had this bad conversation with a coworker. Your boss said something crazy to you. Your, your car ran out of gas and you had to push it to a gas station. And then a cat walked in front of you, you tripped and you broke your arm. And all these things happened in one day. I mean, I, we've all experienced this. And then somebody says something to you and you are at your wits end and you're like, this is not the moment for you to say this. This is Moses right here. He's mourning the death of his sister. He's, he's like, finally, this 40 years is over. We're about to enter into the promised land. And people are like, hey, we don't have any water. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Why, we'd rather be slaves again than be where we are right now. It's like for Moses, it's like, I can't do anything right, can I? Are you freaking kidding me? But he doesn't say freaking. Are you kidding me? Like, this is what Moses is thinking. And Moses does something in the aftermath of this that causes him to forfeit his destiny. And in order to see just how extreme what's about to happen happens, I need to go back and give you a little more insight into the life of Moses. Let's do a little bit of a case study. See, Moses, when he was born, he was born as a Hebrew. He was an Israelite, just like the people he was leading. He was born into slavery. But at the time, the Pharaoh said, you know, there's too many Hebrew people, so what we're gonna do is every time a Hebrew male is born, uh, we need to kill him. So he issues this edict to kill all the Hebrew males. Uh, well, Moses' mother doesn't wanna do this, so he, she hides him for about three months until she realizes, I can't hide this kid anymore, he's crying all the time. So what she does is she makes this basket, lines it with tar on the outside, places Moses in the basket, and places the basket at the reeds of the Nile River. And it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter comes to this place and is bathing and sees this basket and hears this baby. She takes the baby as her own, adopts him into her own family. And now Moses, the man Pharaoh wanted to kill, grows up in the house of Pharaoh. And we don't know much of the psyche of Moses. We don't really know some of the issues that he had or how he, how he grew up and what he was thinking because the scriptures don't comment on it, but you can just look at his situation and, and guess some of what Moses might have gone through. I mean, Moses was a Hebrew grow, growing up in an Egyptian home. Um, his mother um, gave him up essentially for adoption. She had to. 
and he grows up in the house of a man who wants to kill him. I, I wonder if for Moses, as he started processing through all this, he, he just had the pains of rejection uh, resonating inside of him. I wonder if Moses started to think back, you know, my mom didn't even want me. And, and we know that's not the case. I mean, she gave him up. She had to. She wanted to save his life. But I wonder if Moses just thought, my mom didn't even want me. My mom has rejected me. She's given me up. I'm growing up in the house of a man who wants to kill me. My, the man I call father doesn't even want me. There's rejection there. I wonder if Moses felt too Hebrew to be Egyptian and too Egyptian to be Hebrew. Here's this Hebrew man living in the palace of Pharaoh, and he just doesn't fit in anywhere. He's rejected by everybody. And then there's a time he, he grows up, and he sees an Egyptian slave driver beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses comes to his rescue, and his, his, his indignation, his, his anger wells up inside of him, and he kills this Egyptian slave driver. Like he lets his anger get the best of him and he kills this man and he tries to cover it up to save this Hebrew. Well, the next day he sees two Hebrew guys fighting and he goes up to him and he's like, come on guys, you're the same people. Let's all get along. Why are you fighting? And his very own people, the Hebrews say, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Like Moses is trying to help them out and they don't even want his help. He's rejected yet again. You ever try to help somebody else and they don't want your help? I mean, the truth is you can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped. And Moses is trying to help them, but they're like, we don't want your help. They reject this man who's trying to extend his, his arm of help. He's rejected yet again. And then because he killed this Egyptian slave driver, Moses runs away because Pharaoh wants to kill him. So here's more rejection from the man he calls his dad. And uh, he ends up in this place called Midian where he lives for 40 years as a shepherd. He finds a wife, he marries. Uh, and then he comes back to Israel because God says, or he comes back to Egypt because God says, I want you to free these people from slavery. And he goes to his people and said, God has said that I'm going to free you from slavery. And they say, yes, this is awesome. And then he goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, you need to let him go. Pharaoh says, I'm not letting him go. And he makes the work of the Israelites even harder. And then Moses goes back to the Israelites and he's like, I'm going to free you from slavery. And they're like, we don't want you to free us from slavery. Our life is too hard now. And they reject him again. Eventually, Moses does lead them out of Egyptian captivity. They get to the Red Sea. Why'd you bring us out here? We're going to die now. They're rejecting him again. They cross the Red Sea. We don't have anything to eat. What's wrong? They reject him again. We don't have anything to drink. They reject him again. There's another time where Moses leads the Israelites to this place, Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God and to receive the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. And the Israelites are like, we don't know what happened with this guy Moses. He's been gone for a long time. Let's make somebody else the leader. And they make his brother the leader. They say, hey, make a golden calf for us so we can worship it. Again, Moses is rejected. Over and over again, Moses faces rejection in his life. Rejection, 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 rejection. And then we come to this moment here where Moses strikes the rock. I wonder if Moses faced so much rejection in his life it just got the best of him. Because again, here's, here's what takes place. Moses stands before the people. They want something to drink. 
And they say, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? Yet again, rejection. And imagine in this moment, Moses is fuming. He's furious because of the constant source of rejection he's getting from this people he poured his life out to, these people that he loves so much. And, and, and he's just, he, he's about to blow, but Moses does the right thing here. He takes his rejection he takes his frustration to God. And I imagine that he goes to God and he's like, God, about had it with these people. So help me, I need you to strike them down. I need you to do something because they're talking about going back to Egypt. This is 40 years later. We're still having that conversation. But he takes it to God. And God uh, meets with Moses. And I imagine uh, like God probably sings a Daniel Tiger song to Moses just to help him out. Th these are the kind of illustrations you make when you have a five-year-old daughter. Um, like, I imagine God just sings to Moses and he says, when you feel so mad that you want to roar, take a step back and count to four. One, two, three, four. And then everything's better. Like, this is what God does to Moses. He's like, Moses, I know you're frustrated. I know the rejection is getting to you, but just calm down. We can handle this. Rub your earlobes. Just, just calm down. It's not a big deal. We can fix this. And, and, and he meets with God. And I imagine God just gets him to the place where he's like, okay, he's in the right mindset. His perspective has shifted. He's ready to go address the people. He's calm, cool, collected. He has a plan. And God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go out. Moses, you're gonna take the staff I gave you, the staff of power, the, the staff you used to part the Red Sea, the symbol of authority. You're gonna stand in front of the people of God as the man of God, and you're gonna to speak to that rock right there, and water is gonna flow out, and they're gonna see that, and they're gonna say, oh, thank you, Moses. You're such a great leader. We're so grateful for you, and they're gonna praise me because of it. That's the plan, okay? You can do this, Moses. So Moses grabs his staff, and imagine he's ready, he's equipped, he feels good, he has boldness and courage, and he steps out in front of the people, ready to deliver the word of God to them. And he raises his staff, and he says, listen here, Israel. And then somebody in the crowd shouts out, shut up, give us some water. And Moses is like, okay, this is not how I plan on it going. Um, let me try it again. And he raises the staff a little higher, the symbol of authority. Listen up, Israel. We don't want to hear what you have to say. Give us some water. And somebody else shouts out, yeah, we're thirsty. And then somebody else says, Moses, you stink. Give us something to drink. Moses, you stink. Give us something to drink. And everybody starts chanting it. And Moses is like, this is not how it was supposed to go. Like the whole crowd turns into seven-year-old boys. He's like, what? This is not, and, and his rejection, like his calmness, his coolness, everything just melts away. And, and he starts fuming. Fire starts flaring from his nostrils. And imagine God is in heaven. And he's like, oh, dear me. Right? And he's like, Jesus Christ, get over here and look at this. And Jesus comes over and he's like, what? You know, Jesus' son. Anyway, so 
this just, there's this scene in heaven and he's like, he's about to blow and all the angels are coming around and they're like, I know what's gonna happen. And Moses responds to these people. The rejection has gotten to him and it blows up in anger. And he says, listen here, you rebels. Because you don't call somebody a rebel unless you're mad at them. Listen here, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then it says that Moses struck the rock, not once, but twice. He really got mad. I imagine for Moses, he saw the face of Israel on the rock and he said, you want, you want, you want water? And he, and he started thinking about Jebediah. He's like, oh, you want water? Here, take that. Take, take it again, jabroni. Like he's, he's mad. And he strikes the rock, but God said, no, 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 just speak to the rock. See, I would argue that Moses allowed the unaddressed emotional issue of anger to get the best of him. Because 80 years prior to that, there was a moment in Moses' life where he got so angry that he killed an Egyptian slave driver. And I wonder if Moses thought that he had dealt with it. Because for 80 years, we don't see this issue of anger come up again in Moses' life until right now. And this one thing that he thought maybe I had addressed actually remained unchecked. And it boils up out of him and is shown in front of all the people. And here's what it says that's so fascinating. He strikes the rock. Verse 11, then Ra Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff and water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. The community and their livestock were happy because they got what they wanted. They don't care how the water came out. They don't care if Moses was angry when it happened. They just know they got what they wanted. But here's, here's what's so sad about it. Here's what's so devastating is the next verse, Numbers 20, 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because of Moses' unidentified, unaddressed issue of anger, it exempted him from accomplishing the assignment of leading the people of Israel into the promised land. Really what happened with Moses is he was held back because of his anger and he came up just short. Because Moses' assignment was always to lead the people into the promised land. You can see it 40 years prior when God first calls him. Exodus chapter three, verse 16, he says, go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites. That was the assignment out of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, Selites, Melites. Blah, blah, blah. A land flowing with milk and honey. Moses' assignment was always to go into the promised land. His assignment was not to lead them out of captivity and wander in the wilderness. His assignment was not to come up just short, but ultimately that's what happened in his life because of this unaddressed issue of anger. And I want you to note that Moses did not come up just short. He was not held back because of a lack of vision. Well, I just need a greater vision in my life. That's not why Moses was held back. 
because he met with God and God told him what he wanted him to do. Moses was not held back in his life because of a lack of the word of God in his life. He, he met with God one-on-one. -on -one. God gave him his word directly. Moses was not held back in his life because of a lack of worship in his life. Well, if I just sing some more songs, then I'll be free. No, Moses would meet with God and his face would glow as a result of it. The reason why Moses was held back was not because of a lack of spirituality in his life. He was held back because of an unaddressed, unchecked anger issue. The question I want to ask you this morning is what is it that's holding you back? And maybe, most likely, is something you don't even know. It's something you don't even see because often our downfalls are seen in our blind spots. We don't even know that they're there. I wonder for you, what's holding you back? Could, could it be that God has called you to something greater. God has called you to a life where you could experience even more, where you could have freedom, where you wouldn't be as stressed out and as busy as you are, but you're held back because you have this longing to be liked. And listen, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked, but why do you wanna be liked? Do you wanna be liked because if you're not, then you feel like you failed? Then, then you feel like you've let somebody down? Maybe the reason why you keep saying yes to everything and adding more and more onto your plate, ultimately allowing everything to drop in the end, is because you want to be liked and you don't want to let anybody down, but at the pace that you're going at, you will let people down. I wonder, what's holding you back? Maybe, maybe you just have this mentality where I got to go, 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 and I can never take a Sabbath, I can never rest, I just have to keep going, hashtag, always on the grind, hashtag, no sleep, hashtag, can't stop, won't stop, because if I do stop, then people won't like me. It's a long hashtag. What is it that could be holding you back? Maybe for you it's an issue of pride. Because, I mean, sure, you wanna help other people, yeah, you wanna serve other people, but ultimately, 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 when you look at your life, the world revolves around you, and it's all about you. And maybe the thing that's keeping your marriage held back from being all that it could be is your refusal to die to yourself and serve your spouse. And they need to die to themselves and serve you. See, it's a two-way street. I talk with people all the time about their marriage and marriage problems and failing marriages. And the answer to fixing your marriage is so simple. Die to yourself and serve your spouse. But it's so hard to do. But if we would just do that, everything would change. But sometimes we don't because an issue of pride holds us back. But what if you got rid of it? How much greater could your marriage be? Maybe the thing that's holding you back is sarcasm and you're held back from having real, authentic, genuine relationships with people because you keep them at a distance with your sarcasm. Now you call it witty comeback humor, but it's hurtful and it's holding you back. Perhaps the thing that is holding you back is a lack of honor in your life. You know, honor is value. It's how you perceive someone and how you treat someone. Maybe it's a lack of honor that's holding you back in your life uh, because the promotion could be yours, but you don't honor the person in authority over you. Um, that's why we honor people in authority over us because uh, they hold the keys to our reward. When you honor someone, you receive the reward that they carry with them. I hope this makes sense to you. Um, but maybe it's a lack of honor. Maybe that's why you, you're stuck in the job that you're in. Maybe that's why um, some of the friendships that you have aren't blossoming like they could. It's a lack of honor. Maybe the issue just below the surface is negativity. 
Perhaps it's misplaced priorities or being lazy. I don't know, I don't know what, it, what it is, but the thing is, it doesn't have to be a bad thing to hold you back. I mean, Moses had this issue of anger, and you know, I think Moses probably could have justified how he felt. I think he probably could have said, yeah, but you don't understand because when I was born, my mom, and I grew up in the house of somebody who wanted me dead, and I tried to help, and they didn't want my help, and I was too Egyptian to be Hebrew, too Hebrew to be Egyptian, and all my life I was rejected. You don't understand, and yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. All your excuses, all your reasons make sense. But the question is, will you be a victim or a victor? Because you can buy into this all you want and it will hold you back from what God has called you to. Yes, I get it. You're hurt, there's pain, there's justification. Yes, yes, yes. But how long will you allow it to shackle you to where you are so that you're held back from something even greater? I want to I close with uh, a few more observations from, from this, and then I want to give us some practical ways that we can live this out because I'm, I'm almost past my time. Um, first, I want to I note this, that when Moses struck the rock through his anger, water came out. It worked. It worked. It, even though he was angry, it worked. And what this means is that God can still use you in spite of you. And that's a great thing. But I don't want you to be fooled that just because it's working doesn't mean there's not something there lurking underneath the surface that you need to address. So Moses struck the, wa- the rock, water came out, it still worked. And God can use you in spite of that, but it doesn't mean that there's not something still under the surface. The, the, the second thing I want to give you is this. Just because it's dormant in your life doesn't mean you're delivered. Just because it's dormant doesn't mean that you're delivered. Moses executed this anger um, action 80 years prior to this, killing the Egyptian slave driver. And after that, he didn't see an issue of anger until right now. And I wonder if Moses was thinking, oh man, I'm delivered from this. I used to be angry, but not anymore. That's who I was. And then this instance comes up and he gives in to his anger. Here's what the scriptures teach us in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Be careful that you don't fall. Just because it's dormant in your life doesn't mean you're delivered. Here's how you know you're delivered. When you face that temptation and you walk away from it and say, nope, and you emerge victorious on the other side, that's how you know you're delivered. But then, don't get cocky. Stay strong, because it'll come back at you. Oh, you've won that round, but here's round two. You gotta stay vigilant. Just because it's dormant doesn't mean you're delivered. Be on guard, be somebody who doesn't shrink back. The final thing I wanna give you, so that you can see how serious uh, this subsurface issue is, is um, I want you to note what God says to Moses and who he says it to. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. I want you to know, Moses' unaddressed issue of anger doesn't just affect him, but it affects his brother. When you have something lurking just below the surface of your life, you are not the only person it affects, but it affects other people. And if you do not address it, it will impact the people that you love. 
This is why when your dad became an alcoholic and stayed that way and never addressed it, it affected you. The things that I do in my life, if I do not address them, they affect my wife, they affect my kids, they also ultimately affect you because I'm your pastor who's leading you and if there's unchecked issues in my life, it pours out in my leadership. The unchecked, unaddressed issues in your life, if you do not address them, will ultimately affect those you love. Not only is Moses disqualified from entering into the promised land, but Aaron is as well. So I wanna, I wanna give you three quick ways on how we overcome this. And as I give you these ways, our band will come back up. Three quick ways on how we overcome these unaddressed issues. First, uh, I wanna encourage you to look for trends and patterns in your life. And also note that the symptom is not necessarily the root. For Moses, the symptom was not the anger, it was the rejection. The anger was a result of how he dealt with the rejection. Sometimes what happens is we start cutting off branches in our life and they grow back. And we wonder how come we're not getting anywhere because we hadn't gotten to the root of it. So let me give you an example. If I get frustrated all the time at home, if, if my temper is short at home and I go off on my wife and my kids, um, I need to look for those trends and say, I keep going off on my wife and my kids because my temper is so, is so short. Why is that happening? And then, and then I need to ask the question, okay, well, that seems to be happening because when I come home, the house is a mess and there's all these chores and my kids are always asking me for something and, and, and I get so frustrated and, and, and that's when, I, that's when I, I blow up. But, but why? So is it the house that's a mess? Is it the chores? Is it, wait, why is the house a mess? Why are there chores? Oh, it's because I don't have any margin in my life. See, if I had margin in my life, then the house would be clean, the chores would be done, and, and I'd be able to work through some of the stress of the kids always asking me for stuff. Oh, I get it. So my problem is not my short temper. My problem is not that the house is a mess and there's always chores. The problem I have is there's no margin in my life. So I need to work on my schedule. I need to work on my time management. I need to work on what I do with my time, and that will fix the symptoms I'm seeing. So look for trends in your life, but then understand that the symptom is not always the source. Uh, the second thing I wanna give you is this, that the way to overcome hidden obstacles is to ask people around you what they see in you. This is dangerous. Don't ask if you don't wanna know. Because oftentimes we can't see the things that are hidden because they're in the blind spots in our life. But you start bringing in people who love you, that's the thing, you, you gotta make sure they love you. Don't just ask anybody. <laughs> some people love to give you some feedback. You go to people who love you and you say, what do you see in my life that I don't see? What do I need to work on? What are some things that I need to address? And allow other people to speak into your life. And then finally, sometimes the truth is we do see what's wrong with us, but we just try to justify it. We just try to say it's okay. I mean, that's who I am. That's my personality. That's how I was raised. That's how I grew up. Sometimes we see the stuff in our life and we try to conceal it. We try to act like it's not there. Or we try to act like we got it under control. But Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If you're gonna overcome these obstacles in your life, it means we need to confess it to other people. 
tell people in your life, listen, I'm trying to dig this out, so can you help me? Can you hold me accountable? Can you ask me how that's going? Because ultimately, if we allow unchecked, unaddressed issues to remain subsurface in our life, they have the power to reach up, grab hold of us, and hold us back from the destiny God has destined for us. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to be held back. I want to ask you two questions as I close. The first question is this, what is God saying to you this morning? You know, I believe that it's not the word that you hear that changes you, but it's the word that you apply that changes you. But first you need to know what the word is. What is God saying to you this morning? You can feel free to write it down in your program. What issues are unchecked in your life that you need to begin to address? You can write it down. What is God saying to you this morning? And the second question is, what are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? Because God forbid that we come to church, hear a mighty, powerful word spoken by the man of God. (laughs) Just joking. And then leave and do nothing about it. God forbid that we leave and we say, well, that was a really good Sunday. God forbid that I get Facebook messages saying, good message, Pastor. Thanks. Appreciate it. But what are you going to do about it? Who cares if you don't do anything about it? What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your love for us. I love it that you came not to make us better versions of us, but you came to make us like your son, Jesus. And that you are in the demolition business, wanting to demolish our lives and rebuild us as brand new creations. God, for each and every one of us, there's some stuff in our life that's holding us back from what you wanna do, from what you wanna accomplish in us. So God, would you shine the light of your love on these issues, expose them for what they are, and give us the strength through your son to crucify those things so that we can move forward in all that you've called us to. I pray that if anyone here needs to make the decision to accept you, that they would do that today. And God, I pray that as we leave today, we would leave better than we came with a plan and ready to be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.